If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine and has some of the best products out there, including their just-released 15 and 60 Go Boxes. These are durable, stackable, dust and watertight storage that's great for organizing and transporting all your favorite gear to and from the field. I actually got to test some of these this past season and put them through the paces traveling from hunt to hunt. It kept my stuff accessible and protected. Practical in so many situations, from raft trips down the river to elk camp in the Rockies, it's nearly indestructible, go anywhere storage that's now available. Well, everyone, welcome back to Live Wild Podcast. You know, in my opinion, one of the coolest looking and definitely most interesting animals in North America has to be the pronghorn. And while elk with their large antlers definitely have that draw for a lot of hunters across the country, I'm going to contend that one of the most fun hunts across the West might just be for pronghorn. They're very unique, both physically and in their behavior from a lot of the other animals around. And I'll definitely also say that antelope can be some of the best game meat in the West. It's definitely the meat in my family that gets eaten first in our house. There's a lot of factors that make pronghorn hunting so enjoyable, but it can also be frustrating at times. So this week, we're going to look at speed goats and what makes them tick and what it takes to fill an antelope tag. Now, there are two main methods for hunting them, spot and stock or sitting water. And sometimes this can be a combination of both. But before we get into that, I want to share the story of pronghorns themselves, the conservation effort that put them back on the map, and the story of a hunt on the range that was so integral to their survival. When I think about hunting any species, the first thing I like to do is really understand that species. And I think with pronghorn, one of the things that we need to do is kind of understand where this species comes from, what sets them apart, what makes them so different, what really makes them tick. Now, they go by a lot of names, antelope, pronghorn, speed goats, goats, whatever you want to call them. They are not technically antelope. They're definitely different than African antelopes, and they aren't goats either. They're actually one of the only species left in their family, antelope capridae. So this group has fossil records dating back to the Miocene about 20 million years ago, and there was multiple species in there. Some looked a lot different than the current pronghorns. Some species actually had four horns, which is interesting because my wife's buck last year had four horns. And so it's just 
uh, a trait that is kind of pops back up every once in a while. You might see, I don't know, in how many thousand pronghorns are taken every year, uh, how many actually have four horns on them. But just a, a kind of a nod to that prehistoric species that was walking around. Now, the current pronghorn probably survived because they are so fast. They are one of the fastest land animals in North America. They say that the cheetah is the only faster land animal. And there's actually, I read an article the other day that said that they're, they're doing a study in Wyoming to prove that the pronghorn is actually faster than a cheetah because when they originally did a lot of this declaring what animal was the fastest, it wasn't that scientific. They just kind of drove a truck and clocked it and just see what happens. So they're, they're actually doing a study now that I read about where they're going to see if the pronghorn is actually faster than the cheetah. And over long distances, I definitely think that that is true. They're extremely fast. They've got incredible endurance. And they use that as their main defense. That's how they've survived and, and outcompeted the predators that were chasing them. They, they've long surpassed the predators that were chasing them, which would probably be an American cheetah. So they, they're very well adapted and suited for that kind of survival. And that kind of survival allows them to outpace the predators that are coming after them. And so they choose terrain where they can outpace predators, where they can use their incredible vision, their, their eyesight. They can actually see a movement up to four miles away, and they have an extremely wide range of view. So they like to put themselves in the open where they can see things coming, and they know that they're faster than everything out there, so they can get away. That's uh, one of the, the phrases that Montana Knife Company uses for their speed goat. Knife is fast die last, right? That's 100% been the case for pronghorns is they use their speed to outlast, run faster than predators. And so when you're thinking about, okay, they, they've evolved this way. This is, these are the ways that they survive. It allows them to outcompete and be very difficult for a lot of predator animals to capture, to hunt, to kill. Now, unfortunately, there's a sad story about pronghorns in North America where they were actually almost extinct. And I think this is a story that a lot of people might not know, but as westward expansion started to happen, as habitat started to lose, at one point they estimated 35 million pronghorn, and then that number got dwindled down to in the thousands. And it wasn't until hunters, uh, members of the Boone and Crockett Club, started to recognize this. And it was believed that the pronghorn was going to go extinct, much like the American bison. So they got together and created the Sheldon National Wildlife Refuge. It was actually in combination with the Audubon Society. There's a story where the president of the Audubon Society wanted to see some pelicans that were on Pelican Island out in the middle of Pyramid Lake. And the, the person that was taking him was like, yeah, we'll go see the pelicans, but first we're going to go look at this place. I'll only take you to see the pelicans if you check out the spot where we want to preserve pronghorns. And so they checked it out. They, they liked it. They raised the money together. And then they actually purchased land. It was about 2,500 acres, maybe 3,000 acres, something like that, in northern Nevada to set aside as an antelope refuge where they could bring antelope and kind of create a in some ways a breeding program where the antelope would build up and then those animals would be transplanted. Now that area wasn't really large enough, so they got the government involved. Once they got this thing started, they created this wildlife refuge 
And I think now between the Hart Refuge and the Sheldon Refuge is like 800,000 acres. And that large chunk of land is where essentially the pronghorn has been brought back from the brink. And now there's, uh, I think, over 800,000 pronghorn in North America. So it worked. The, they would do that. They would round them up and then transplant them other places. And it became a, a breeding ground for saving a species that was herding that was probably not going to make it without that hunter intervention. And then another interesting story, I think that, or at least from what I've heard, one of the things that also spurred the success of this program was the Pittman-Roberts Act, where portions of sportsmen's dollars went back into conservation to help projects like this, transplanting the pronghorn. It was actually a Nevada senator, if I recall, that started that program. So it was a good way to bring back the pronghorn across North America. Now, the Sheldon National Wildlife Refuge in the state of Nevada, you can actually draw tags to hunt there. And when I was growing up, that was the prime antelope hunting destination in the state. That was the most coveted tag. There was a lot of antelope. There was really good antelope. It was your best opportunity to harvest, uh, you know, a, tr a trophy buck for sure. And just the amount of animals that were in there. So when I was growing up, that was everybody's first choice. And every once in a while, someone would draw it. And we'd go up there and, and go on a hunt. My dad actually drew it. My brother's drawn it. I've had quite a few friends draw it. One of my favorite hunts up there was with my dad. And he had an antelope tag. And we went up. I, I did some scouting. We, we both scouted before the season. And we found there was like some, it was a rifle tag. And there was some big waters there. And that's just, we started to concentrate on the waters and did a lot of glassing and, and noticed there's one spot in particular that had a lot of pronghorn coming into it. So we thought, well, let's just go where there's the best concentration and then we can look over a lot of bucks. So it happened to be the first day. The, the trouble with this particular area is there's a lot of pronghorn there because it was so flat. So we thought, my thought was, okay, it's going to be very difficult to sneak in where they all are. Let's just get out there in the middle, kind of where that water hole is. We'll lay down in the sage, and then we'll use that as our initial spot to glass from to see if we can make any plays. And if we get lucky of something wanting to water, then we're already kind of in position to make a move. And I actually set up a decoy on the, it was like a archery target decoy thing just to see what they would do because it was like I, I had this archery target I'm like let's set that on the water hole so at least they're focused on that and maybe we can get away with a little bit more movement I don't know if it helped or hurt but we got set up we were about 250 yards away from the water and just sitting there sun comes up we're glassing and we've got the spotting scope out and we're just glassing across the flats and there's a couple little rises in there and we see some antelope moving into the water they they went they drank everything was working out good and it gave us an opportunity to look over. We passed up, like, first thing in the morning, a bunch of antelope ran in, started drinking. And I looked off to our left, and there was uh, a buck that was kind of just a really good buck that was circling out in the distance. And there was a few rises or, like, drops in this big sage flat. And so I've got the spotting scope, the tripod. We start making a move. As he gets out of sight, we're just hauling it. And then when he pops back into sight, we drop down. Well, he dropped out of sight and we were working in toward him. He went out of sight and we're sitting there kind of glassing. And we look back and he kind of, he pops up back 
essentially where we came from. So he somehow ducked around us and then worked back into the water. So we drop, leave our stuff there. I actually had a video camera, so I was videoing. I was actually thankful that we were videoing because we left the pack and the, we had like a, a pretty expensive spotting scope and, and setup and we left it in this massive, you know, multiple mile sage flat that all looked the same. And so we we drop down, we we move when now we're trying to hustle back to where we were. We get back to where we were and the buck pops up like 200 yards. My dad shoots him. And it was great. We were excited. We we're like, oh, this is awesome. And we go, oh, we got to go grab our, where's the spotting scope? In the haste of things, we'd set the spotting scope down and couldn't find it. So I, I turned the video on. I, I used the mountains to triangulate exactly where we were because it was just this massive sage flat. And used, actually got, like, I lined up, I freeze-framed it. I lined up the two mountains in the background, found the spotting scope. It all worked out. But he ended up taking a, a really great buck, and it was just really cool to be hunting there with him on such a important place for the species. I think it was just, it's one of those places that, hunting pronghorn there it just means a lot especially as a native nevadan where you go you know this is where most of the pronghorn success and thrival came from was because of this wildlife refuge set up here in northern nevada now there are two primary methods for hunting pronghorn so we first understand okay pronghorns survive by living in very flat open terrain they use speed to escape from predators well the places that have flat open terrain are prairies or deserts or a combination of prairie deserts it's got the flat it's got the wide open so it's oftentimes more arid country and oftentimes flat country that does not have a lot of topography to make good plays or good stocks so it can be extremely fun because you can look over a lot of country you can see a lot of animals but if you want to get close especially when it comes to bow hunting it can be difficult because there's no cover they see they can see four miles away they can run away they're, they're kind of flighty anyways they kind of often run back and forth and move around so you could be making a great stock and then they're just somewhere else and it doesn't take them long to go a long ways so the two primary methods would be spot and stock and sitting water. And the reason that you would sit water is because the area isn't very conducive to stalking and the area where the majority of the antelope are is those areas that aren't conducive to stalking. It's too open or seems to be too open. So it, it can be a challenge. So in order to kind of shift the odds in your favor, sitting water is a very popular tactic in areas where it's more arid and there isn't water all over. Now there's a lot of places that you might antelope hunt in Montana, some places in Wyoming, Idaho, some places in Nevada even where there's a lot of water. And so sitting water doesn't work as well. And in those places, we choose the spot and stock method. And we, we'll talk about that a little bit later in those tactics because they're two completely different tactics. But choosing to sit water is really good for a couple of things. It's good if you're wanting to bow hunt and you're trying to target a specific pronghorn. There's a lot of ways, when I'm spot and stock hunting often, I'm just hunting any pronghorn that gives me a good opportunity. When I'm sitting water, I'm trying to target a specific buck generally. It might be the best buck that I could find while scouting. It might be a 
particular, maybe I haven't seen a good buck, but it gives me an opportunity to get within bow range of multiple bucks that might be using this one particular water. Now, during a rifle hunt, it can also be effective because it can be a place, like in that story, where you start out your hunt, a place where, okay, this area is super open. There's not a lot of great stocking opportunity, but, hey, I can get uh, fairly close if they come to me. Now, there's some things about sitting water that make it difficult. The sitting portion, for me, is very difficult. For people that tree stand hunt, whitetail hunt all the time, this is actually a great tactic because it's something that you're used to. I always say that hunting pronghorn and antelope is one of the best first hunts out west. And there's a lot of reasons for that because you can find them fairly easy. They're in the wide open. They don't generally bed. They actually, one of their behavior patterns is they don't sleep much. It might be 10 minutes at a time, but they're out a lot in the open. They're always looking out. They're always paying attention. They're often in groups and they'll be moving throughout the day. So it's one of the easiest animals to find. That's what makes it so fun, right? Because if you blow it on one, you can go find some others. It's, it's easy. You can drive around. You can find pronghorn. They're in country that's pretty easy to access. Often there's a lot of public land. And so it's a great first hunt to just get you out, get you understanding the regulations and the logistics and all that stuff. And, and you're going to see a lot of animals. Now, when it comes to waterhole hunting, there's a few things that you have to be cognizant of. So step one is locate water that they're using. And to do this, I first like to find antelope and then find water. If you're in an area where there aren't any antelope, but you've got great water holes, it doesn't really matter. You're, you're kind of spinning your wheels. So my first step is always, if I'm scouting for antelope, pronghorn, I'm going to look for the animals and then I'm going to start to find the waters in those areas. And I do it in that way, but I do it by checking areas where there's waters and looking for antelope simultaneously. So I'm looking for evidence that they're there and seeing like, okay, here's some water. I'm also looking for water sources that are pretty spread out. The one thing that makes it hard is if there's a lot of water sources, they can water here one day, there the next, there another, and they might be making circuits between them. Some have a particular water that they like to use and they'll use it every day, even though there are multiple water sources. One of the places that I hunted in Idaho a lot, there was a big valley, like this big basin, and there was water everywhere, but there was one particular seep that they just liked. And so it allowed me to I noticed that I was spot and stock hunting and I go, man, every day there's some kind of antelope on this particular water. So I set up a blind and was able to get within range in this big open place that was very hard to stock because I noticed that they liked this one particular water. But when I'm first looking for a water to hunt, I try to locate on my maps, okay, here's some isolated waters in prime pronghorn habitat. Now, prime pronghorn habitat is going to be open prairies, open flats, open sage, uh, not a lot of elevation lines because I'm looking for the biggest concentrations and I know that I don't necessarily need that topography to sneak in because I'm using the blind as my cover and using that water to draw them into me. It's a really good way to get a, get a good clean shot on an animal that can be super skitterish and a good way to be able to draw back because their eyesight is so good when you do spot and stalk, it can be very difficult to get drawn. That's probably one of the harder portions of getting a pronghorn is that draw back process. So when I'm looking for a place to hunt water, I'm, I'm looking for those areas where the water's spread out, but also has antelope. 
And so sometimes you might not actually see them while you're there. They might cruise a long ways between getting water and where they're going. So I will look for other sign tracks or other indications that they're using a particular water source. If trail cameras are legal where you're hunting, that's one of the easiest ways to kind of identify uh, what animals are hitting what water sources and a good way to kind of give you an idea of the pattern or the you know, cadence at which they are using that water. So if it's legal, I'll definitely use those resources back in the day when we didn't have those things. And there's a lot of hunts where I'll just kind of show up and have to kind of scout out the water and don't have that pre-knowledge. I'm not necessarily targeting a specific buck, but I'm just looking for an area where there's good concentrations of antelope and then I'll glass and watch and see what waters they're hitting or check for tracks at water holes and other things to know, okay, this is a water that's getting used. Once we've identified what water we're going to use, now it's time to think about the blind. So there's a lot of options. When we're talking about archery hunting, I suggest some kind of blind. You can either make your own blind. You can essentially just lay in if there's brush or good cover around. You could do that or you can use a pre-built blind like a pop-up blind. I personally have used the pop-up blinds with a lot of success and it's a lot easier. Sometimes, you know, we've, we've done everything over the course of done everything from building blinds out of burlap. We'll just put up like some T posts, almost like chicken wire, either chicken wire or hog wire or whatever, and then wrap it with burlap and then cut out our shooting holes. Those type of blinds tend to be a lot cooler because it allows a little bit more airflow through that burlap. And we'll do that and we'll, we'll brush it in and we'll build them well before the season. But I've had success just popping up a pop-up blind day of and hunting it that same day and still had pronghorn come in. There's a few ways that you want to do the setup that I think help a lot. So pronghorn have really good eyesight. And you kind of, in the early morning hours, they tend to be able to see into the blind better from what I've noticed. It's when that harsh like cast shadow inside of your blind that makes it much more difficult for them to see so in the middle of the day so in the mornings you have to be extremely careful of your movement i try to wear dark clothes if i can i get in the back corner of the blind i set it up in a way hopefully where the sun's behind me starting out and then as the sun moves it just kind of keeps a shadow within the inside of my blind as opposed to putting light directly into it if if possible always try to set it up downwind of where I believe they're coming into. And a blind that gets popped up recently, they are a little bit more leery of it, and they tend to kind of always, no matter where you put the blind, they kind of try to walk around and inspect it in some way and drink across from it, which often doesn't present the best shot because it allows for that kind of like quartering two shot, which isn't a great shot unless you've got everything just right, you know, because that shoulder's in the way. But setting up that blind in a spot that, you know, you believe, hey, they're mostly coming from this direction. I like to set it up downwind and then try to play it with the sun as well. If I, if I can find that setup and that's perfect, that's great. When we build our blinds, they often don't aren't as leery because it's been there for a lot longer. And the, the built blinds, the brushed-in blinds tend to be less movement from the wind. That's the biggest thing when it comes to setting up a blind. One of the things that I've noticed if you're waterhole hunting for pronghorn is setting up a blind where the wind isn't shaking the blind. That movement of the wind shaking the blind is what really messes it up. So I actually will bring some good T-posts. 
I'll bring a lot of cordage and wire and really stake that thing out to get no wind movement. On those windy days, it makes it tough to get antelope to come in not on edge. And what that causes, it causes a lot of string jumps. Antelope are fast, and they're fast at ducking arrows too or putting that arrow, moving enough to where that arrow is not where you wanted it to be. And that's not ever what you want. So getting a good blind set up, really staking it down good and making sure that there's no movement is really important. Somebody asked me the other day about shooting through the mesh. I kind of always tend to have a blind where I can shoot through the mesh just because I feel like pronghorn, at least where I've hunted them, catch that movement so easy that they're there. They're, they're kind of no matter what. Most animals, when they're drinking, they're on alert because that's a, an area that concentrates them. It's a choke point. It's a weakness for them. And so when they come in, they're extremely cautious and leery. And so any way that I can draw unseen, be quiet, not make a lot of movement, I'm going to opt for. And oftentimes that means having some kind of mesh that I can shoot through in the blind. If I do have that mesh that I can shoot through, I always make sure to shoot preseason at a target. And I've done a lot of, I'm sure everybody has their own things. I've tried multiple different kinds of broadheads. I prefer fixed blade broadheads if I'm shooting through the mesh. I've heard people say that you can shoot mechanicals through it, no problem, but I wouldn't want it to pre-deploy. So I'm pretty particular about just shooting fixed blades, especially if I'm shooting through the mesh when it comes to pronghorn. Now, if you are, if you're like, hey, I'm going to commit to this blind setup when I'm hunting, there's a couple of things that make it so much easier. Archery season for pronghorn is early and it's in hot places often. So I, I always wondered what the temperature was in these blinds when you're sitting in there. So I brought a thermometer one hunt and the difference in temperature from the top of the blind to the bottom of the blind is substantial. There's a, I've, I've had it as much as hot as like 125, 130 degrees in those blinds. And you don't realize how hot it is. You're just literally, your brain feels like it's cooking in there. There's a few things that I've learned to bring over the years that make it a lot more enjoyable, more comfortable, and just a better experience. The first is one thing that I started doing in our antelope blinds is bringing a quilt because it makes the ground quiet and the ground stays a lot cooler. So if you get hot, you can like lay down or whatever, but having that quilt in the bottom of the blind keeps your movements quiet. And I really like that. Bringing a ton of water, more water than you think. It's insane how much you're sweating in there and don't really realize it. Uh, light clothing when it's hot and then bringing that I actually just bring a thermometer just I started doing it and then I brought it on my wife's son just to, like it's like here if it hits over a hundred and something degrees for a long period of time we're just going to get out and then a couple other items that I find very helpful I'll bring a cooler like a small cooler in there with ice and there's these rags they're called oh, what are they it's like these blue cool max rags whatever I don't know you can find these like they evaporate somehow. I don't know how it works. <laughs> They're the best things ever. You just get it wet and then it feels cooler. It's like through evaporative cooling. Those things are an absolute lifesaver. I will tell you right now, I'm not great at sitting, but I do like targeting certain pronghorn antelopes. So it's worth it to me to do it. I feel like it's the, I would rather hike, I don't even know. 40 miles a day in the heat 
than sit in a blind for, uh, I'd rather do that for five days than sit in a blind for one or two days. It's just torture for me. So I try to find the ways to make it the most comfortable. Having that ice, having that cool rag thing works really well. I even also take a mister bottle. You can get them at like Walmart, Amazon, whatever. Like a spray bottle that has a little fan on it. Because when you are just dying in that thing and you see those pronghorns sitting out at distance, just waiting, and you know they're going to come in at some point. But you're just cooking. Your brain is just cooking inside that blind. <laughs> that actually feels pretty good, alternating between that. One of the things that I've not been real good about, but I think definitely makes a big difference, is having a comfortable chair. I don't. I always kind of think about that last, having some kind of stool built for a blind. The last time I sat in one, I just used these stupid tripod stools that are extremely uncomfortable. It's like you're doing, it's like you're holding your own body weight up the whole time and that fatigues you even more. But if you're able to be in there quiet, comfortable and buck the heat to where you can sit it out, it allows you to have that success because it keeps your mind in the game, keeps you in the blind then the last the last thing is like a giant pee bottle because you're drinking a lot of water you're probably urinating a lot if you don't want to have to get in and out and then there's those times where it's open enough you can look around get out it just seems like anytime i'm doing any kind of ambush hunting like that where whether it doesn't even matter what it is it's whitetails it's pronghorn it's ducks it's whatever anytime you decide, you're like, I'm going to get out of the blind because I need to. That's when they just appear out of nowhere and they're staring at you two miles away and they go, nope, we aren't going to this water today. Or they go, no, I'm just going to go to a different water hole. Forget this, forget this thing. And then you just wasted whatever time you've spent in there cooking because you just can stay in there a little bit longer. So I try to be pretty self-sufficient in the blind, get in there early, stay late. You know, it just depends the area another thing sometimes you know hey they aren't they're only watering in the evening so you could go in midday i guess but in my experience most of the ones that i've targeted never really play to the plan if that makes sense so those are the things that i think of when i when we talk about waterhole hunting pronghorn some of the key things that i bring now the way that i set up so i can sit there and effectively hunt that waterhole now Hunting a waterhole can also be extremely effective during a rifle season, but we use it in a little bit of a different way. I, I don't set up a blind. We kind of just set up a place where we can overlook it. We're a little bit further away. And the reason that we're using that waterhole that way is essentially using it as a glassing point where you can also have concentrations of animals coming to you. And you're in a position where if it's a really wide open area where the stalking is very difficult, you have the opportunity to already be in a good position, maybe where they want to come to, to make a play. So it's almost like, hey, we're picking a glassing vantage where we have an advantage. One of the best antelope my dad ever killed was with his rifle. It was a 80, I think it was a 84 inch goat, maybe 86 inch goat just a giant. I mean, an absolute, absolute giant. And him and my mom were, they had this like rim rock. They just kind of were sitting in the rim rocks up off of a, up off of a water hole about 100, 200 yards away. 
and then doing that looking is like it's a kind of a combination thing with rifle hunting where i generally won't sit there all day but i am sitting there in the mornings or the area the times where they're probably most likely to come in and then moving around other times but it's more of a i'm sitting here glassing using this as my vantage to start the hunt out and see what happens and oftentimes it it works out really well or puts you in a position where you're already close enough now to make a good play because you're in that zone where they're either moving to water moving from water or in and around the water and you can figure out okay here's the animals that are here and here's the way that i can make a move but oftentimes they might actually come to you there's so many times where you you feel like you've seen everything and then an antelope pops up at three four hundred yards away and you go where the heck did that thing come from now i mentioned earlier that i think antelope hunting is one of the funnest hunts and that's the one thing that i tell people is if you are not having fun chasing antelope you're absolutely doing it wrong. You're putting too much pressure on yourself. You aren't enjoying the process. Antelope were designed to have a good time. There's a lot out there. It is an extremely laid back hunt in many instances. Of course, you can get as serious as you want about anything. Just like the next guy, I love chasing big animals. But when it comes to pronghorn, I just like to have a good time and, and enjoy the experience of it. And that's the one thing that makes it so fun is there's a lot of opportunity with pronghorn often. Now, they can be extremely frustrating, especially when it comes to bow hunting because they can be hard to get close to. In, in some places, they can be difficult to find. Not in most places, that's generally not the thing. It's, it's easy to find, hard to get close to. But honestly, you know, having two different types of tactics in your bag of tricks can be extremely effective way to hunt. Anytime I go on a pronghorn hunt, I have both the idea of sitting water and spot and stock in that bag of tricks. And I often use a combination of them. Like I said, I can't sit there very, I'm not great at sitting there very long unless I have a specific buck that I want to target. Uh, I'll do it. But for the most part, I still like to have fun. So I'll, I'll sit some days. I might alternate between stocking. Now, the thing that can ruin a sitting plan faster than anything is rain. An antelope just needs water. They don't necessarily have to go to that water hole. When it rains, they'll be drinking out of potholes in the road, potholes in the desert. Wherever they can get water, they'll get water. And it's a lot more safe for them to be less predictable. And I think that they know that. Now, there are some that just, they just go to the same water because that's what they do. But rain can ruin a sitting plan faster than anything. So, that's why I always like to have multiple types of tactics in my bag of tricks. So next week, we're going to actually finish out this discussion on pronghorn hunting, whether it's with a rifle, whether it's with a bow, primarily with a bow, because that's kind of the first hunt that kicks off. It's a really fun hunt as well, because the access to tags can be pretty good. There's very, I don't think there's anywhere anymore that you can get over the counter tags, maybe maybe the Dakotas or something for archery. Uh, there's some places maybe you could get archery tags over the counter, but for the most part, there's a lot of places where it's easy to draw archery tags. And so because of that, the opportunity to hunt them is there. Now, the opportunity to hunt them during archery season is there because a lot of places it is very difficult to get close to these animals. So having knowledge of the different ways to hunt them helps with finding success. So next week, we're going to talk about my strategies when it comes to that spot and stock portion. So we talked about 
water holes today. Next week, we're going to talk about the spot and stock aspect of pronghorn hunting, what to look for, and how to get close on an animal that's extremely hard to get close to. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. I think there is something just so fun about chasing pronghorn. They're such a cool animal. If you've never hunted them, definitely think about adding that to your hunt plan. I think it's something that everybody should experience because they are such a unique animal. I guess one of the things that I forgot to touch on when I was listing off the the differences and the, the uniqueness of pronghorn is the fact that they actually shed their horns, which makes them completely different than a normal antelope that would hold their horns year round. They're just so unique. It is really an opportunity. I think there's a couple of animals on this planet where it's like you're hunting prehistoric animals. A pronghorn is one, a muskox and bison are another and alligators. I think like they're just, there's something about them that seems so prehistoric that seems like you're hunting from a different time frame. It's like you're following them across the land bridge, hunting an animal that's just been around forever. Obviously, the other animals have that kind of allure too, but there's just something about pronghorn that makes them so unique that it's just a really cool experience that I I highly suggest taking advantage of at some point. One of the things I mentioned on the Speed Goat was Montana Knife Company, that slogan, the fast die last. And so one of the things that I talked about in a previous podcast was a partnership with Montana Knife Company and some of the things that are coming out. We've got something I'm really excited about. And the only way to find out exactly what it is, is to be on my email list. We're going to send out an email blast here next week on Tuesday. You got to be signed up for my email to get what we've got coming. One thing about Montana Knife Company, they do They've got a lot of their knives that happen in drops. So if you're looking for a Montana knife, you just kind of have to be aware of when those drops go. And then there's also, you can get that speed goat knife or the, sorry, the, um, yeah, the speed goat knife on their website now. So those are actually in stock, but if you guys are interested, make sure you're signed up for my email. And I always have some awesome giveaways in those email lists. So Every time, if you are signed up, you just go to my website, remywarren.com. All you scroll to the bottom. It's like subscribe to the email list. I know a lot of people use their email list for whatever. Mine is just give you guys additional content that I hope you guys enjoy and do some giveaways. I, I just, I really enjoy being able to do that. So we've got some great giveaways coming up. A really awesome, something that you guys are, I think you're just going to like it. So just sign up, see it. You can check that out. It's going to be going here next week. So if you aren't in, you don't get it. But that's all right. Uh, you won't be in. That's all right. Uh, so until next week, I'm just going to say the fast I last. That is such a good slogan, man. I don't know. I love it. So true, too, especially when it comes to pronghorns. All right. Catch you guys later. <laughs>